Good morning, friends, and uh, welcome to another episode here of, uh, I don't even know what we're calling this at this point, Mike Mike at night, as one of my friends texted me, uh, or uh, the Mike and Mike podcast, whatever. Um, it's just a couple of guys trying to bounce through scripture, but in this study particularly, we're looking at the uh, how we can be better stewards, and, and we're into, into stewardship. If you were along for the journey for Philippians, um, we've now transitioned where this will be lesson three in stewardship and how we can um, be better stewards of all that God has entrusted us with. Um, with me always is my esteemed colleague, Mr. Ray. How's everything in Somerset this morning? I'm still riding hard for two geeks and a sword. I don't know why <laughs> that's not the perfect title for this. And I, I, I will not, I'll, I'm not going to give up that banner unless, unless I'm absolutely shot down. I am, I am very well. And I, are we actively looking for sponsors yet? Should we be just openly and blatantly making that play? Right, just random pl- product placement. Is, <laughs> I think Philippians <laughs> class, there were multiple bottles of Mountain Dew. Uh, yeah. Oh, wait. I've got one this morning. Can I? My friends at Mars, you think there's any chance to throw? They'll kick in. Uh, be, be outstanding. Uh, I, think, I think trying to monetize this might go against the, the entire purpose of the series. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Very true. Although I couldn't imagine anybody wanting to pay to listen to us either. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, people are doing it for free. Oh, goodness. Uh, so this morning, um, as, as we kind of turn our, uh, our attentions here, uh, we're in Matthew chapter 25. Um, I think this thing starts around verse 14. Yeah, 14, right after the parable uh, of the 10 virgins. So uh, if you're following along with us and want to get out your Bibles, uh, Matthew 25, this is where we're going to you know, hang out for the duration of our conversation here um, today. So, Michael, when you look at the parable of the talents, um, you know, just from memory before we get into the text, what are some things that jump off the page to you? You know, as soon as I mention the, the, that word or that title, you know, the parable of the talents, what, what jumps off the page to you? Yeah, well, so I'm, I want to back up and answer a, a different question first, and that is, you know, how, why, why are we here? And I found, I found a quote you know, uh, that, that I thought was interesting. You know, when, when, I, when I hear the parable of talents, what you, what you think about or what I think about is stewardship, right, that we are, that we are entrusted with something. That's, that's kind of the premise of the parable. As we in, in the, the undergirding of all that, as we talked about last class, is that is that God owns everything, right? And so, um, if you if you if you're willing to intellectually accept the fact that God owns everything, and in that that verse from Luke 16 we talked about, if you're ready to intellectually renounce everything that you have, um, uh, then then you, I think mentally and logically we come to this place of of, of the parable of talent, but. The, the quote that I wanted to read, uh, a guy named Larry Burkett, and, and the quote is, when we acknowledge God's ownership, every spending decision becomes a spiritual decision. And uh, I, I, thought that was, I thought that was pretty, pretty profound given what we talked about last time. So, you know, when we, if, if, you, um, if you follow the, the last kind of lesson and you're willing to intellectually accept that God owns it, every decision really does take on a little more significance um, because, because is this worth spending God's money on? You know, you know, if we're going, if we're going to put gutters on our house, 
how much of God's money are we willing to invest in putting gutters on our house? And what's what, you know, is this, is this, uh, is this a fair use of God's money? And, and so all of those decisions take on, take on a little more meaning. Um, and so the, the reason that, that, you know, we chose to, to take that thought that we kind of talked about last time and lead into the parable of the talents is because that helps us understand the mindset of this parable that, you know, this, this parable, uh, again, the first thing that comes to my mind as you asked was, was about, was about stewardship that, that we are, uh, we're entrusted with something and there is accountability to that. You know, th- those would be the two things. Um, you know, we, we discussed briefly that the placement of this parable in the book of Matthew is not insignificant. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, this, this parable is in the midst of a lot of conversations that Jesus is, is having about uh, the judgment. It's, it's right after the parable of the 10 virgins. It's right before the picture of the judgment scene. This is a parable that, that, you know, with all the other lessons that we can get and we will, the, the thrust of it in, in where it's placed in scripture, it's about judgment. It's about accountability. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you combine those two things that every spending decision is a spiritual decision and that God tells us there's going to be accountability. Uh, and all of a sudden the stakes are pretty high um, in terms of our stewardship as it relates to the variable of talents. Yeah. And that's, that's very interesting as, as we look at, you know, the placement of this, right that, you know, I think for a lot of people, you know, if you haven't given too much uh, consideration to the study, if you haven't been down this road before, you know, it's my spirituality is one thing and my money's something different. And I think there's a, maybe a lot of people out there that are listening to this that have that mindset that, you know, I, whatever I do with my money doesn't have anything to do with God. And, you know, hopefully if you've been listening along the last few lessons, you see the uh, you know, the flawed nature of that, that stance. Right. But I think even more so as we get into the parable of talents that, you know, there is going to be a final accounting, if you will, there's going to be a, you know, balance sheet return, whatever you want to look at uh, that we're going to have to give for what we've been, uh, been blessed with. Um, and, and, and I'm, I probably should have shot this to you earlier, but um, I, I know you did this lesson before, but, you know, so I just thought that you hear most people, and I've heard this sermon, you've heard this sermon that talents are, you know, gifts and abilities, right. You know, that people have um, for years used this to talk about, you know, whether or not you're a song leader or a preacher or have gifts of leadership, all this stuff. That's not what this is talking about. I mean, that's, I think it's, it's a, it's a good play on words, but that's not what it's talking about. Michael, what's a talent? And what's the monetary value of said talent? Yeah. So, you know, important to remember first, what is, what is the words that Jesus is saying here? What do they actually mean? And there can be other applications to this, but what does he actually mean? Well, you know, when we talk about a a talent, our minds immediately go to, you know, knowledge, skills, abilities, those things that that you were talking about. But when Jesus said talent, he was talking about a a sum of money and and how much that sum of money is, you know, you can find different, it was a weight actually. And so it was a, it was a weight measurement of, of, of gold or silver. And so when you left, when you left somebody a talent, um, you know, how much that was, I've seen varying things, but it was it 15 years worth of income or it was a, it was a significant sum of money. And so, you know, when I have, when I have, when I taught this class or when we went, went through this in other, in other settings, I just removed the word talent because I think it just, I, I think it, um, 
intellectually uh, takes us away from the scent. Um, it, it leads us intellectually in the wrong place. So, so I, I just think it's easier to think about these guys as the $5 million man, the $2 million man, and the $1 million man, because yeah. that, that probably puts us in the frame of mind that, that Jesus' listeners would have been in. One guy got $5 million, one guy got $2 million, another guy got a million dollars. And now what are we going to do with this, with this parable? That is not to say that the application can't be about knowledge, skills, and abilities. Because I think, you know, at least in my judgment, it can. You know, you can, you can make that application from this parable. But, but as you said, it's, it's important to remember that, that first and primarily, at least, you know, again, this is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's what a parable is. Right. But, but primarily, Jesus was giving these guys money. Um, and, and he was giving them possessions. Which, which has, you know, obviously it has some implications to, in, in, as it relates to the, the study that we're doing. Right. Well, and, and the, the reason I'm beating on that door, and, you know, you can take this and, 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 and go to the skills, knowledge, ability, all of that. I just think that's addressed in other places, <laughs> you know, specifically here in, the, you know, in the context of judgment. You know, when you look at, um, and, and, I, and that's, that's, I'm glad you came back to those numbers because that's kind of what I, I was hoping you did, is, you know, 5 million, 2 million, or 1 million, why those sound like very large numbers. Here's the thing. That's a lifetime worth of money. You know, if you think about, you know, whatever, wherever you are socioeconomically, all the dollars that you had in your possession for your lifetime could easily be, one million, two million, or five million dollars. It's not that's not to say you had that money all at once, right? But you know, if you make thirty thousand dollars a year for thirty years, that's nine hundred thousand dollars, not counting anything else, right? So these aren't I think when we we say five million, two million, one million, to some of our listeners, like, oh, that's ridiculous. I'll never have that kind of money. Well, I mean, go back and look at how much money you've touched in your lifetime. You probably have touched somewhere in that span, $30,000 a year of income is not a, you know, it's a, it's a reasonable amount of money that we assume that somebody makes, uh, you know, if you have a family of two, that's making 60,000 again, over a 30 year time horizon, you know, do the math plus your social security and all that. I mean, you can quickly get to these numbers. So I, I, I want to, that's the other point that I want to, I don't want to beat a dead horse with that, but the, these are not unreasonable amounts of money that you and I as American citizens may be entrusted with over the courses of our lifetime. Yeah. I don't necessarily believe this is a picture of the judgment, but wouldn't it be interesting if, if God kind of showed us our lifetime W2, you know, and he said, look, uh, from a parable of talents perspective, here's what I entrusted you with over your lifetime. It, it says here that over the course of your lifetime, you made $1.7 million in wages. Now let's see where that money went. Um, and that, that gets to a little bit of a budget conversation, which I know we're going to have at some point, but, mm -hmm. but that, as we've said, as we've said, the, the bank statement is a pretty good index of our, of our character. Um, if, if, and if in this accounting, God with us does have that kind of conversation. So look, I did entrust you with two talents here. Uh, look, here's the, in, here's the inventory. Listen, it wasn't, it wasn't my decision that you, that you, bought a boat and went to Tahiti every year, right? That, um, so our, our, again, God, if, it's, if we acknowledge God's ownership then every spending decision is a spiritual decision, um, when we acknowledge God's ownership, we also acknowledge God's um, accountability of those funds. And, and, and that, that's the parable of the talents. Right. And so that was, that's the first thing that jumps off the page to me. The second thing 
is that, you know, so, you know, one, there, there is the, you know, what it is, but two, you know, is, is the final accounting, right? There is an expectation of return. You know, I, there was, you know, when, when the master comes back, right, there was an expectation that he got more than just his money back. You know, right, the, the, the knock on the one talent guy was out of fear, out of trepidation, out of worry, out of whatever, that there was some reason that, that, that he had that um, he went and just buried it and just gave it back, which, you know, the interesting part about that is I, I wonder over our lifetimes if we even have the coin to give back what we were actually entrusted with or, you know, the, it's the – to quote that, that terrible movie, Dumber and Dumb and Dumber, you know, I don't know if you've seen that, Michael, but anyway, the, the, in the movie, these guys spent some money they found in a suitcase. And, you know, when they open the suitcase, when the investigators find it, it's, this is better than money. This is full of IOUs, right? They just had a bunch of IOUs in there. There was zero money. There was just a bunch of debt and receipts. So, you know, Jesus, you entrusted me with a million dollars over my lifetime. And instead, here's the debt that I have where I've leveraged this million into three or four million. Yeah, I'm not prepared for a dumb and dumb response. <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can continue with your next point. That's it's terrible. You need to do your studying. <laughs> I'm not that mentally agile. Can't, can't believe you're not prepared to discuss the fine <laughs> qualities of that cinema. Uh, <laughs> so, look quickly run through the story michael give for for those that, that haven't read through this in a while why don't you give the reader's digest version here of the parable of talents yeah so uh and we've already discussed a lot of this but i'll, I'll do this briefly uh jesus is giving this parable um again a parable is an earthly story the heavenly meaning and, and it's in the midst of parables about the judgment uh he says for it and you gotta kind of know that in verse 14 it is like a man going on a journey well what is it well, I think if you if you back up um, to verse chapter twenty five, verse one, the context is we're still talking about the kingdom of heaven. What that is that is what we are um, um, setting side by side. Uh, that's what we're analyzing here. For it, the kingdom of heaven is like a man going on a journey. And so he brought his slaves and he gave them property before he went on a journey. These are servants. This is the master's property. He gives he allocates it in, in verse fifteen according to their ability. That's an, I think that's an important uh, point of the, of the passage. So he allocates these, this money to his servants. Uh, again, I'm going to talk in terms of million because I think it keeps us on the track. Five million to one servant, two million to another, and one million to another. And he goes away and it says for some time. Um, and when he comes back, the, the $5 million man has invested his money and has a $5 million return. and He is rewarded. The $2 million man has invested his money, <clears throat> has a $2 million return. He's rewarded. The $1 million man has buried his money in the ground. Um, safety and security is good, but his return is not good. Um, and he is, he is punished. What it, in, in fact, his, what he has is that the million dollars that he has is taken from him and, and given to the, to the, to the five now $10 million man. Um, but why did he do this? It says because he was scared. Um, he was scared of the master. He was scared of um, not, uh, at least that's the, the the reason given in the parable. I was afraid and I went and hid your talent on the ground. Um, and, and he, this worthless slave, and that's what the master calls him, is thrown into outer darkness. Um, and so, you know, that's that's the that's the earthly story about this master giving his servants property 
And so it's our responsibility as Bible students to make sure that we uh, correctly identify the heavenly meaning. And, and no question we're talking about judgment here, but, but I, I guess I would put it in your lap, Mike, to say, uh, what is the, what is the, the heavenly uh, analogy here? Um, if, if, is this just talking about uh, doubling your money on return on God's assets? And I, the, the quick and dirty answer would be yes, um, right? That I think the expectation is from what we're doing in the kingdom that there's got to be investment and there's got to be return, right? Um, you know, the, if you look at the one talent, the one million dollar man, right? The one million dollar man out of fear, right? I, I didn't want to do it wrong. I didn't do anything. So... I've got no return for you. I, I didn't do anything out of fear. And, and I believe that there are a certain number of Christians, maybe listening to this podcast, that are fearful of what they do and they don't do anything, right? Don't do anything to, you know, help the followers of the widows. Don't do anything to, um, you know, further the cause of the gospel. They just go along, um, you know, uh, status quo, right? They, they're afraid to you know, step out and take some of those leaps versus the, you know, even $2 million man or $5 million man. And, and I think the other part of that that's, that's interesting is it's according to our abilities. Not everybody is blessed the same. Not everybody's entrusted with the same and not everybody's return is expected to be the same, right? It, it's on a, you know, on a percentage basis, maybe it's expected to be the same, but the $2 million man wasn't expected to come in with 10 million. You know, the $5 million man came in with $10 million and it was reckoned as, as good for the deals that they made and the investments that they did, and there was return in the kingdom. But it's also according to the abilities that, that we're blessed with. So when I take a step back and say, all right, how, how does this apply? It's, you know, one, I've got to take inventory of what the master has put in my hands. And two, I need to look at what kingdom investments I'm making. I think sometimes when we, you know, we use that turn and phrase investment that it's, you know, what I got in the market or what I got in my 401k or what I'm doing in mutual funds or whatnot, but this is about the kingdom and the investment has to be in kingdom things. So, so let's, let me throw that back to you then, you know, what are kingdom things that the investment should be based on? Right. And that, I think that's, that's the, the key to the parable here, right? What is the heavenly meaning? Because I mean, I, I don't think that what you're trying to say is that um, that with whatever monetarily or possession-wise God has entrusted us with, that He expects us to return to Him those possessions, right? Um, that 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 our our W two is expected to be doubled in terms of its dollar value, so we can give that give that back to God. So, <clears throat> so what would God be interested in? You know, God has no need of our monetary return. That we go back to Psalm chapter fifty, cattle on a thousand hills are his. He's he, he's uh, obviously we we give um, back back to the Lord what we've been blessed. We you know as a as an acknowledgement that all things are his, but God doesn't need the money. So so what is what is return? Well, what would God be interested in? Well, obviously God is uh, God's interested in in spiritual uh, kingdom growth, right? Kingdom expansion, saving the souls. And so how, how are we utilizing what we've been given to advance that, um, that end? And, and 
and I think that we can answer that question for ourselves with any possession that we've got. Does my house advance kingdom growth? Well, well, how, well, that's impossible. How could a house possibly advance kingdom growth? It's for most people, it's their largest asset, right? So how, how could, how is it possible that, you know, it does, so we also need to sell our houses because this is not a good investment for God. Well, I think, I think if we're thinking this through logically and from a kingdom growth perspective, what, what are we using our house for? Um, are the children that are being raised in our house being raised in a godly way? Are we, are we, uh, showing hospitality out of that house to the saints as is, as is commanded, right? Are we, uh, are we having Bible studies and singings and, and get togethers at our house so that the, the, uh, local and, and church family are closer and that they're, they're more connected and that they're more spiritual. So they're, and that's just one small example. Could use that same, um, logic to talk about our vehicle or to talk about, um, the, the things that are in our bank account. Yeah, I think you can use that logic um, on, on any asset or any possession to say, great, we got it. What's God's benefit out of this? Right. So think about it this other way too. So I, I think that's exactly right. It's, it's what's the, the kingdom benefit. And if we looked at kingdom goals, right? So from Genesis to Revelation, kingdom goals. One are in increasing the population of the kingdom, right? We're, we're expanding the borders of the kingdom, um, which means saving lost souls. So that, that's, I think, probably kingdom goal, kingdom priority number one. But number two is also, we see scattered everywhere, is helping the helpless, right? So that there's a big, you know, that's a, it's a hard number two. And the Levitical law you know, there was built-in provisions to the fields, right? You weren't to you hit the corners. Anything that fell on the ground was for the sojourners and those passing through. Like There was always provisions for the helpless and the needy because there was an expectation that there was always going to be those. So, so I think that that's also a, a strong number two. And while we, while your point is true, God doesn't need our money. You know, the cattle on a thousand hills are his, you know, back to that, Psalm 50, you know, I, I wouldn't even tell you if I was hungry. I just take whatever I needed. Right. So, but the goals of the kingdom take money to operate. And, and I think sometimes, and, and again, depending on, you know, what um, denomination background organization you look at, some, you know, are increasing and growing money and endowments. Right. But in my mind, when I study the scriptures, you know, the, the local church treasury should almost be, you know, as close to possible a zero balance account, right? We should be using that funds as they come in, established back out to kingdom goals. You know, I, I, we'll get into budget analysis and, and all that. Everybody should have an emergency fund, I think, including the local church. But you understand the premise that, that these should be dollars that as they come in are allocated to kingdom goals. So while we are giving to the local church, it's, it's, that's to support local goals. But that by no means in the Old Testament was the only thing, only way they give. And nor do I believe in the New Testament is the only way that, that we should work on kingdom goals. But I, I think there's probably a certain section of our, our population of listeners here that thinks, well, yeah, Mike and, and Mike, I, you know, I write a check to the church and they're responsible for that. So I check that kingdom goal off. But to your point, you know, we need to look at how we're using all of our possessions 
cash as well as hard assets to, to further these same goals. Well, the uh, analysis of this parable that, that I kind of read in preparation for this made, made an analogy that I thought was, um, was very interesting is that, you know, who would perhaps Jesus have had in mind directly um, when, when, he, when he gave this parable? And, and could it have been possible, as in many of the parables, that it was, uh, there, there was at least some association with the Jewish leadership of the day when he talks about the, the one talent, the one million dollar man, and that you think about particularly the Sadducees uh, in Jesus' day, you know, they were blessed monetarily. They were, they were renowned to be wealthy. They had some political power and forget the, the, the material things. These were God's chosen people. They, they were entrusted with the protection of, of God's word. And when given the opportunity, when Jesus came to them and said, Hey, we, uh, we and especially in the book of Acts, when uh, the apostles came to them and said, Hey, we can take this, we can take this uh, uh, treasured possession of, of, of being God's people and we can spread this around to help others. They were solidly against it. Right. They preferred to bury, they preferred to bury that possession they preferred to hide to keep that possession to themselves rather than to uh rather than to help others with it and i think with that with that 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 can be a little condemning um is it in in 2020 um you know if we if we believe that um you know we we got some understanding of scripture um and we're, we're we're trying to do things right for ourselves is that something that we're trying to keep is that something that we're trying to protect as if, as if God's word is something that we're going to fend off the invaders and hole up and bury this in the ground, or is is that possession of God's word something that we are going to invest in everybody that we meet? Um, so that uh, anyway, I thought that was a very interesting comparison of um, when sometimes we, we think about or you hear the phrase or, or or similar phrases about you know we are protectors of God's. Uh, word that we're, we're, we're keepers of, of the old past. That's great. But if keeping it is protecting it or, or hiding it or burying it, then that is the opposite of what we're kind of asked to do here. Right. And, and I, I'll take, because you hit on something, I'll, I'll take this opportunity to, for a shameless plug. Uh, if you look at my lesson from yesterday, we're to be tour guides of that ancient past. So yesterday in, in the sermon, I talked about Jeremiah chapter six and verse 16, that, that we come to a crossroads and if we'll choose the old paths, the good paths and walk with God, there we find rest, right? And it's about obedience and, and following God. And to your point, when we talk about walking that old path, as opposed to being, you know, guards of the path, we should be tour guides of it, right? It should be that we're taking people down that old path, you know, to show them God and to help them establish their own walk and relationship with God. That, that's exactly where we should be. And so we think about that in terms of our possessions, you know, and, and this is where it can get into the talent part of that, but knowledge, ability, skill, you know, that's part of that. Are, are we sharing that, you know, in that, in the Bible studies and the opportunities we have, are we taking that time to share with others? You know, Hey, let's, 
let's look at this together. If you've got questions, you know, let's, let's study it together. Let's sit down together. And maybe you're the, you know, one talent guy and you're not great at that, but you can go, that doesn't preclude you from going and grabbing the 10 talent guy or the $5 million guy, right? And say, hey, you know, he's a little bit better at this. Let me bring him in on the deal. Uh, and, and let's figure out a way that we can help you and uh, in, in sharing this. So I think that that's part of this, this too, that when we look at our balance sheet, if you will, and, and I think that's, that's something that we talked about at the end of the last, um, last lesson, that I've asked you all to, to kind of come prepared to this study, you know, with an inventory, with a balance sheet. And, and the question that, that we need to pose hard for ourselves is, how am I using all the resources on my balance sheet in that asset column? What's their allocation here? What's their spiritual application? How's their use in the kingdom? You know, we've given you some examples here with, you know, how you can use your house, how you can use your car, you know, how you can use some funds. But I think it's a, it's a good exercise for all of us to say, you know, what, are, what am I doing with these assets and, and how do they apply to the kingdom? Uh, and, and, and along those lines, what, what are, Michael, what are some good kind of either rules of thumb or, or practical things to think about when we're looking at applying assets to the kingdom? Well, you know, there's a, there's a couple of things, you know, that, you know, as, as we mentioned last time, I don't, know, I don't believe that God is, is asking us to liquidate all of our assets and give them to the poor or liquidate all our assets and give them to the, to the local church. I don't think that's the, the point when he says renounce all that you have. Um, then remember that we we have a responsibility, each of us, especially as 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 men in our households, we have a responsibility to to take care of our families, right? And so that is a that's a kingdom goal that we are, you know, part of part of what we have been given, right? I'm talking about you and I specifically, part of what we have been blessed with are children, right? That that and talk about stewardship, that is something that we are given for a short period of time. Ultimately, they're gods. We're given them for a short period of time. Um, to try to direct them down the right path. Well, part of that in the larger context is, is making sure that, that they have a safe, healthy, and secure place to live, that they got enough to eat and all those, all those things that, that make their spiritual training possible. And so that is a kingdom goal, right? That, that what, what could, you know, what could be more of a kingdom goal than, than providing that, that home for, uh, for your children and for your wife. And so um, I, I think they're, God is not, um, uh, he, he's not blind to the fact that there are very practical things that, that he provides us with, right? That, um, that we should work with our hands that we may be able to provide for our families. So that's one that we may be able to have a home that we can share with our families and with others that, that, that in very practical ways, this is not, um, this is not some wild eyed theology that, that we're all going to, you know, throw our money and live communally. That, that's, that's not, that's not where we're headed, but it is that, that in addition to the very practical and, and hopefully in a reasonable way, using our funds, you know, for those, you know, food, shelter, clothing, things that our family needs that, that we're beyond that. Again, that every dollar we spend, we're thinking about is, is this, you know, this is God's money. Am I comfortable with how I'm using it in this way? Um, is this, is this something that God would approve of in, in the use of these funds? And there's some things you hit on there too, that I think are important. And, and it's, I don't mean to get into semantics here, but I, I think it's important. There's a difference in providing a house for your family to live in and a home, right? And, and it's, when we provide the correct environment for spiritual growth. Mm -hmm. 
you know, we can go out and work, you know, 70, 80, 90 hours a week and have a very nice house. But if you're absent from your wife and your children's lives, what are you doing to provide the home and the leadership and the spiritual direction that they need? And I think sometimes where we focused on the shelter aspect, we focused on the aesthetics instead of what the true meaning is. And, and that's part of what we've got to come to grips with when we do this accounting is, you know, what am I providing that, you know, leadership, that growth, you know, to put it frank, I mean, when we look at qualifications for the elders, right? One of the qualifications is that you have believing children. Why? Because of, of about how a man can manage his household well, right? You've got the most direct influence over your children. So if you're raising them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, if you raise them to become Christians, that shows that you can exert some influence and you've made some good decisions along the way to, to provide that path, right? And so, you know, because of that, I, I think there is a there is an emphasis on when we look back at our lives, what what our responsibility as fathers are to lead in that capacity. And, you know, again, the accounting of it is, you know, it, that's great that, you know, they they had a roof over their head and they had clothes on their back, but what do we provide for them spiritually? And and I think sometimes our goals for our children uh and, and the investments that we make in them can be misguided right? You know, there are uh, parents, and, and again, I'm not knocking sports. I was a sports guy growing up, but if you've spent more time, effort, money, and energy on your child's athletics than you have on their soul, that's a problem. You know, I, I, I think that's a problem. You know, uh, there's parents I know that travel every weekend with ball and three nights a week, and they go all over the country to do all these things, but don't have time to make it to gospel meetings or to you know, camps where they can spend time with other Christians. You know, there's a lot of other things that you can do. And again, not that necessarily playing ball is, is wrong, but I, I'm just asking where, when we do an accounting, where's the, where's the resources allocated toward their soul, toward their growth and development as a Christian? Um, and, and it's not just, just I'm not <clears throat> knocking athletics by any means. Please don't take it that way. You can do the same thing academically. You know, we can – move our kids all over the country to the best college and, you know, pay for private tutors for ACT and SAT and all that jazz, or, you know, as some celebrities do bribe officials to get in or take the test for you and, and think, well, you know, look, I'm allocating my resource because I want the best for my kids. I mean, is that truly the best for your kids or, or have we, have we missed the mark on some of that? Yeah, no, no question. And uh, you know, what, again, from a parable of talents perspective, what could be, what would God, uh, what would we think would please the master more than an investment in the next generation of Christians, right? Um, so, you know, just in that, in that phase of our life, what's, what's God's going to say about our investment? Uh, and to your point, I'm, I am all for all of those extracurricular um, endeavors, but when the investment in those things outweighs the investment that we're making in their, in their spiritual lives, um, and I'm not just talking about monetarily, but time and effort and all those things that you mentioned are there, there is an accounting for that. Um, and, and unfortunately sometimes there's earthly accounting as well as an eternal accounting, um, in, in terms of what, what, what kids are seeing, uh, as important in, in the direction of their own life. So I think that is one example of exactly what, what we're, what we're talking, what we're talking about. 
the, the, the other, one more thing before we close here that I get your feedback on as it relates to the parable of the talents is I'm, I'm very interested in this $1 million man um, and his um, perception of the master. Because at least in my judgment, that is one of the, um, that's one of the things that I'd, I'd never really considered in this parable and, and until going back and read it a second or a third time is that I'm not sure that the one, the $1 million man's perception of the master <clears throat> is accurate. And I think that that misperception may have been part of, of his problem. Um, you know, if you look at how the master treated the $5 million man and the $2 million man, it's very clear that he was generous. He was uh, magnanimous. I don't know how you want to say that, but he was, he was very giving. He was very complimentary. He was very, he was very helpful. Not to mention the fact that he's, he's doled out $8 million to his servants for them to play with while he's been gone, which implies some level of generosity in itself. But um, when we get to this $1 million man, he says, uh, because I was afraid, um, because you are a hard man, because you harvest where you don't sow, because you gather where you don't reap. His perception of the master was that he was, he was, uh, was going to be impossible to please. And because he was going to be impossible to please, it was better to just lay low, bury it, give him back what he'd been given and try very hard not to make a mistake. Um, and that, that graceless perception of the master uh, paralyzed him. And, and so uh, there's two things here. Um, and and it's, it's in the same words, because I find it very interesting that the master doesn't disagree with them, right? You know, so, but it's, it's perception on that. Okay. So, you know, of course, the, let me, let me read this here. Uh, master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here is what is yours. But his master answered him said, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I, I uh, scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have at least received what was my own with interest. So the master's saying, yeah, I, I've been very, <clears throat> yes, I'm very successful in reaping where I haven't sowing and, and, and harvesting where I didn't have any seed. But that's not a hard thing, right? It's the graceless view is, you know, my master's so successful that I'm going to pale in comparison that I'm just not going to do anything. Whereas the other side of that says, everything my master touches is blessed. So therefore, if I follow the same pattern of my master, then everything that I do is going to be blessed too, right? I mean, it, and it's two different perceptions of the same exact words. And I think that's, that's exactly where we are. And, and this is why I think Jesus, in, in, in another place here in Matthew, talks about the fact that sometimes just a cup of cold water is all you need. That we don't have to convert the entire country to be successful as Christians. We can sometimes just bring cold water to a distraught soul or a hug to the brokenhearted. Sometimes that's all that we can offer, but that's exactly what's needed at the time. That, that, that's why there is reaping where there's not sowing. That's why there's gathering where there's no scattering of seed is because sometimes it's the small things that yield the biggest part of the investment. And when we think of it in terms of all God's plans already laid out, God's plan is going to be successful. If I follow that plan, the success is already 
going to happen. And, and the success is God's. It's not mine. The success is God's. I'm just following after what he's already done. So I think that's a great statement there, that that graceless, that legality, that harshness that we look at, at God, if that's our view of who God is, and our view is that we're never going to be able to measure up, then we're always going to be afraid and we're never going to be successful. But if our view, if we take those same words and we flip them on their head and say, look, I can be successful in God, regardless of how much of a clown I am, that, that I can follow his path. And sometimes I'm giving out a cup of cold water and that's just as successful as investing a million bucks. Yeah. That that's, that, that's where success comes from. I, I think we've got a, I think you, that's a very great point that, that we, that, and that's a faith issue, right? It's we've got to get our hearts and our minds right so that our faith is plugged in to understand where the success comes from. Yeah, because he assumed that the master was graceless, it made him faithless because he, he did not, uh, he did not uh, assume that because the master was who he was, that whatever investment he made was going to be successful. Um, and so, again, earthly story with a heavenly meaning. What does that mean? He said, if, and I think it's interesting just to go back, that the master did agree that he gathered where he didn't scatter and that he, he gathered where he didn't succeed, but he did not agree that he was a hard man. No. Right? He, didn't, he didn't repeat that part of it. So, so that, was, that was the perception of the, of the of said, hey, uh, because, because he perceived that the master was graceless, it made him faithless. And um, again, if you, if you take that to an earthly thing, to your point, if, if that, um, I, if, if we're overwhelmed by the responsibility of, uh, I, I can't, I can't do enough. And that paralyzes us. Then, then this is, then this is where we are. Um, if we say, well, if, if we uh, are so intent on finding the perfect investment for God's resources that we don't make any investment with God's resources, that's exactly the same thing. Like, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know if this is the right thing to do. And so I'm just going to wait for, um, wait for a better opportunity um, for something that I can do with my home or with my resources. Um, all of those things kind of speak to this faithless, graceless attitude of this, of this one talent man, instead of, I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to, I'm going to make this investment in, in, in God's purposes. And I'm just going to have faith that God can take my meager, um, uh, you know, Un- uneducated uh, efforts and turn them into something. You know, he can gather where, where the seed was, was scattered poorly. I'll, if we can just put forth a little bit of effort. Um, so clearly there's spiritual applications there in our work, but where we are, I think there's also spiritual applications there in our, in our resources, in our finances that, Hey, we, if we can find opportunities to invest and I mean, invest literally dollars in kingdom purposes, we don't have to do that perfectly, but we got to do it with the right heart, with the right study, with the right prayer. And, and I think God has proven he gathers where he, he gathers where, there, then where we didn't scatter. He will make that into something uh, phenomenal if we got the right heart and if we got the right intent and purpose of what we're doing. Right. And, and there's, you know, there's obviously, and, and I want to give this disclaimer here that intent isn't everything, you know, you can sure. do the right thing the wrong way. Sure. Uh, you know, so I, I don't want to leave anybody with the impression that, you know, as long as you're trying hard and you love God, that it's all going to work out. Cause 
you know, that, that's the other part of what Michael said is, you know, it's, it's with some study with, with the fact that, you know, we look at the path, that old path. And if we'll follow the pattern of God, that's when it's successful. You know, it, the master, you know, reaped where he didn't sow and gathered where he didn't scatter and all of that thing. But, you know, the point up was you, if you follow what I did, you could have at least gone to the bankers. I mean, at a minimum, you could have gone there if he acted against the master in a way that the master didn't, the expectation would be that he would lose money too. So I think that's built in here, here as well, that, you know, we can't just, you know, say, well, Hey, I tried and I'm going to throw money at the wind and hope something works out. There has to be more to it than that. There has to be following, you know, the plan of finding the right ways to do that. And it's not, I don't think it takes an, you know, a doctorate level thesis to find that. I just think it takes, you know, open eyes and an open heart. If you'll look, you'll find ways that, that are responsible and good that you can get involved with. Uh, but if you don't look, you know, you're not going to find anything. I mean, I, so allow me to get hyper practical here. What, what is pure and undefiled religion? Fathers and widows, right? So what, what are, are again, from a, from a parable of talents perspective, what our, our uh, definable, investments toward that goal mm-hmm. if and and again if we're paralyzed by not knowing if we're making the perfect decision there and we're not making any decision i think that's an issue yeah. that 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 there is a there is a spiritual directive there and that and that if we if we can't point to some real efforts in that regard i just think that there's some accountability uh, uh, that's coming along the backside of that from a parable of talents perspective. If we've been given things and we've been given this directive of what pure and undefiled religion is, and we can't, and we can't make the connection between A and B. Right. I, I think it's, it's, it's e- some of this stuff's easy, right? You know, the, the, the spreading of the gospel, whether you're, you know, given to the church, whether you're supporting preachers individually, you know, those things are, are easy. And, and part of what I'm getting at too here is, you know, investing in a missionary society is not the right answer. You know, there are good ways to do this and there are bad ways to do that the same way. And, and, you know, we're talking about the fatherless and the widows, you know, a cause that is near and dear to to mine and Michael's heart is sacred selections. You can help fund the adoption of a baby into a Christian household where the, the funds have full accountability. You can watch them go directly from your pocket to uh, an oversight and to pay bills so that a baby comes into a Christian home. It's absolutely perfect. It's God's plan. It's outside of, um, you know, human oversight uh, institution things that, that we know that are not the, the work of the church. I mean, all of those things you can with very, that's what I'm saying, with very little difficulty, you can find that, right? It, it doesn't take a rocket science to find uh, stuff like this. You can find it, but you've got to look. You've got to say, I want to help babies. And, and you can find it. You've got to say, hey, I want to help widows, and you can find it. You know, but it, it, it starts with that directive in our hearts to say, here's what I want to invest in. Now, how do I find it? And, you know, that's, that's one of the beauties of Google nowadays, right? You know, you can do that. Ask some people. I assure you that if you want to dedicate your resources to helping in the kingdom, God will open that door so that you can do that. I, I absolutely assure you. And if you don't know of anything, if you've got a, a heart and a mind to do some stuff and you don't know what to do, comment on here, share on it, direct message me or Michael. 
we will help you. We will 100% get you in touch with the, the right person, the right people to help you accomplish whatever goal you want to. Ignorance is, in this day, in Google world, ignorance is not an excuse. And, and I, would, I would just say, my kind of last thought here would be, again, in, in, the, modern, in the modern world, we are, I am, I'm the one million dollar man. If I've been blessed with what I've been blessed with, and my response is, you know, all of the opportunities to help the poor, the, the, the fatherless and the widows out there are all institutional. And, and I, 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 I can't get comfortable with that. And so I'm just going to sit on my resources until I see, I just wait for the perfect thing to come along. That is, I don't know how it could be more definitionally the $1 million man in the modern era. Yes. If, if, if that mindset pre prevents me from keeping that spiritual directive, I, I don't know. I don't know what else. I don't know what else God can say to us it, 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 when you combine those two passages together. And so uh, to your point, there are ways to do this. And, and if we're, if we are paralyzed by that fear, the way the, the $1 million man was paralyzed by fear of the master, Again, I, I just think that we are letting fear and faithlessness get in the way of God's work, and we're we are uh, sitting on our sitting on our possessions that could be used for kingdom purposes. Right, and 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 I, I don't want to be too harsh on on that person either. Okay, so uh, let me <laughs> let me put. A I keep saying I keep saying things, and then you keep backing up. <laughs> I, I, I am. I'm, I'm a squish on some of this because I get it. Right, if you. Absolutely. If you want to do the right thing and you've heard for, you know, your entire life that all these other things are bad, I get that. But stop that today because I'm convinced that that a group like Sacred Selections is the answer to somebody's prayer that was paralyzed. I'm 100% convinced by that, that I want to help babies. I want to help in this regard. And I don't know how and everything else I've looked at with, you know, the homes and all of that, I've been told is wrong. God opened that door to me and Dana and David show up, right? I'm a hundred percent convinced by that. So, but find it, right? If you found this podcast and have, you know, listened to, to me and Michael Banner for the last several weeks, here's the answer that you're looking for. We will get you to where you need to be. So ignorance is not an excuse anymore, but I get why you've been paralyzed, but let's stop because God's led you to a point where now you, we're going to, we're going to remove that from you. And we'll get that, that fear off of the list. But if you continue to live in fear, then, then that's a problem. But I, I get fear to a point. I get, you know, apprehension to a point. But now when the light shines on that and faith, perfect faith casts out fear, right? That, that's, that's the way that, that works. That love casts out fear. Amen. Perfect love casts out fear. Sorry. Um, that's why I have him here to fact check me. <laughs> so it, that, but that's what we do, right? So this, this love, this work together it is to cast that out. So let's put a bow on, on, on the parable of talent. So things we want you to walk away from from here. One, this is about money. 100%, we can't get away from the fact that this is about money. You can take some applications to knowledge, skills, abilities. But first and foremost, Jesus is talking about money because um, he's very forthright about that. He, he talks about um, preparedness and other kingdom parables. He talks about having our stuff ready, but he specifically talks about money, I think, for a reason here. Two, there's going to be a final accounting. These are kingdom parables about the judgment. So there's going to be a final accounting. 
and we need to be prepared for said final accounting. What are we doing with those resources? And then the third thing um, is, is what we, we've just been discussing here, is if you are lost or afraid or scared or don't know where to start, uh, fire to us. Please contact us. We will be more than happy to help you through this. Um, and I think that leads us to our next class um, that, that we're going to do. And uh, Michael, how do you feel about moving from here to tackling budgeting next time? Uh, I'm, I'm all in, man. Your show. It's, it's our show. Let's, let's not put too much blame on me here. Uh, so we'll, we'll do that next time. We're, you know, with these principles in mind, I think um, let, let's look at and, and we'll help you guide through some balance sheet stuff. You know, here, here's where we are. And, and we'll, we'll take a lot of the concepts we talked about today and make some practical application. We'll look at, you know, uh, as Michael mentioned earlier, our, for most of us, our largest assets are home. So we're going to list that on our balance sheet and talk about what can we use our home for kingdom goals for. And we'll go down our balance sheet and budgeting. Um, you know, so balance sheet, statement of cash flows. We'll look at both of those and budgeting and how we can align and earmark those resources for kingdom goals. So I think that'll be a, a good time to spend our next 30, 45 hour, however long we talk. Closing thoughts here, Dr. Ray. Uh, if you acknowledge God's ownership, every spending decision is a spiritual decision. Uh, let's, let's pray and meditate about that one. That that first heard that it stopped me in my tracks, and it probably should do that for all of us. Yeah, that that that's that's another quote to leave here. I, um, if I could have remembered it better, I would have had that in my comments. But uh, that that's solid. Um, you know, it's we've heard something similar um, right throughout life that. Once we make the decision to become a Christian, all of our other decisions are made for us for the rest of our life because they're God's decisions. Um, I, I think Michael's quote there uh, hammers at home on the, on the financial side. Thank you all for tuning in with us, spending some time with us today. Um, we hope and pray that these, are, these lessons are beneficial to you, to your household, and to the goals and plans you're making. Um, Till next time, uh, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you soon.